Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the tickets you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. It'll search multiple ticket sites and grade every ticket based on value. I'm looking at the SeatGeek app right now. So the best value for USC Colorado, of course, USC has a buy this week, but the Colorado game, row 20, three tickets for 137 bucks. Uh, they also have cheap tickets for $35. They'll show you the cheapest. They'll show you the best value. They plot it out for you. So I looked on my app and I could check it out. If you wanted to go to the Dodgers playoff games, that's the first thing that pops up when you open the SeatGeek app. And best of all, our listeners will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, like I said. Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC. You will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go check it out. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football like we always do here on the Peristyle Podcast with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions for Dan, he's got a lot of them this week. We do get a lot of them every week, I guess now. A podcast at uscfootball.com or you can text or call. The number is 424-254-9141. We got your texts. We got your voicemails. We definitely got some emails. I'm going to have to be hard going through all these, but we'll do it and uh, appreciate all of the feedback everyone's been giving us here on the Peristyle Podcast. And we're going to talk a little bit later on with Rafael Esparza since we're not going to do a preview show this week. We usually have Rafael on our Wednesday show uh, talking about the the odds, the, the betting lines and all that kind of stuff. So we'll have Rafael at the end of the show. Stay tuned for that. But right now we have Dan Weber coming on. What is up, Dan? How are you doing? Pretty good. Um, I, I can talk about the betting odds. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> bet, bet against USC and the and the, whatever the spot is. Uh, although the USC uh, uh, Washington State game was one of those uh, ones that uh, at the very last second. No, I guess it was. Uh, it was well, I guess both of them have kind of been. I, I think they were the both kind of three game. and a half. Yeah, they were both three and three a half. Three and a half. Yeah. And USC uh, won by so, three and won by four, which on a four, missed extra yeah, I know. point. <laughs> so I might tell people just kind of stay away from USC just just in general uh, and see what happens. Yeah. If you bet against USC, you're doing pretty well over the last couple of years. Uh, well, right. But most of our people probably don't want to do that either. So you might as well just let the USC game go. Yeah. If you like just to be my thought, if you like to bet, you can bet on some other ones. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's so uh, before we jump into everything, uh, we you know we always like thanking our sponsor Trader Joe's, but there's kind of a a mishmash of things that have come together. We got a tweet from uh, Joey. It's J C E V A L L O S sixty six on Twitter. So he sh- sent us a great mail day 
um, and gave us a picture. He had the Trader Joe's bag. So I sent um, so some of the subscribers to uscfootball.com. I posted on the Peristyle, you know, several weeks back. Hey, if you couldn't make to our event on in August, I will send you a bag, like one time thing. Just respond, you know, email me and I'll send you a bag. So I sent out a whole bunch of bags. So Joey apparently got the Trader Joe's bag in the mail and your new book, Dan. So it was kind of like this Trader Joe's and your book uh, coming together. I thought it was a really nice tweet. Yeah, great photo side by side, you know, matching cardinal and gold uh, colors. Uh, I mean, if you've got one of those Trader Joe's uh, bags, uh, I wouldn't mind if you went out somewhere and, you know, filled them up with uh, miracle moments in <laughs> USC football. That, that, that would, would, actually, that's how I, when I, I go to the, a couple of booster clubs and take the books with me, uh, I put them in Trader Joe's bags. So it, it works perfectly. So uh, just uh, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for the, I guess it was Joey. Uh, thanks so much, Joey. Yeah. So if you want to tell people about the book real quick, I got, I, like I said, I read it on the way down to Austin, Texas for the Texas game, but um, where they can find it, I guess it's doing pretty well on Amazon, which is great. That's what we're hearing. So, uh, so that's great. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very uh, instructive for me to do it, uh, to learn about all these guys, you know, back to, you know, the first all American Bryce Taylor and Howard Jones and the thundering herd. And, uh, you know, some of the Rose Bowl games that you just, you didn't realize how, how things went and, uh, you know, how USC became, you know, uh, a, a real player on the national, uh, you know, map of college football, which had been basically all East for a while. And then, you know, you got the, the Midwest and the, in the South, but USC, you know, pretty much put the West Coast, uh, you know, there was, you know, occasional team at Stanford or, or Cal, but USC became the enduring uh, power on the West Coast. Uh, the rivalry with Notre Dame and Newt Rockney uh, surely helped. Uh, it was just a wonderful picture in there. And one of the coolest pictures I've ever seen, college football related. Before the USC Notre Dame game that drew 120,000 in, in Soldier Field in Chicago, the Friday before the game, they had a, a big luncheon in Chicago. And there you had uh, uh, Howard Jones. And Newt Rockney and Pop Warner was there and uh, wearing a, a USC uniform was Lou Gehrig and wearing a Notre Dame uniform was Babe Ruth. Now, 19, uh, that would have been, I think, 1927, which was the year Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs. So he was like by far the biggest name you know, in, in American sports. And there he is at the... Uh, the USC Notre Dame luncheon, and these guys, he and, and Lou Gehrig are wearing, <clears throat> wearing USC and Notre Dame uniforms. I mean, it's just uh, kind of an amazing thing how uh, the USC Notre Dame rivalry just sort of took off and took the, you know, took the country by storm and uh, uh, made both programs, I think, in a lot of ways, uh, made them both national programs. And, uh, and it's what USC has to live up to now. I mean, you're talking, you know, the mid and late 1920s, USC was established, uh, you know, 90 years ago as a national program. And that's probably going to stay the standard uh, for USC football. And it's the struggle, you know, where we are right now is how do you maintain that? How do you, how do you keep to that standard? It wasn't always kept to, and there were, Certainly, uh, plenty of valleys uh, with the peaks, 
but um, um, it's it's really this is interesting right now is when you look at the history of USC football and you look at today and you say how do we put these two together and uh, I think that's kind of the story if you read the book I think you'll get a sense of of where USC was and how it got there and who were who were the people that did it and uh, when USC has the right people in place. Uh, uh, kind of the sky's the limit. I mean, it's uh, got so much going for it, but uh, but it really de- is very dependent on those special people that maybe brought those miracle moments uh, to life. And uh, so, if you want to read the good news about USC football right now, that book is the place to go. Yeah. That's a great place. Then uh, go check it out. Uh, I love the book and uh, you can check it out on Amazon and uh, Dan will put some links on uscfootball.com too. Um, well, Dan, we want to talk about, you know, what happened recently and uh, it was this weekend you went out to uh, Tucson. Um, it's weird. Uh, we talked with Keely and shotgun about this on our, you know, uh, tunnel vision, our Facebook live show uh, Sunday night. And it just seemed like, you're talking about a team that won, but they didn't really feel like a win. You know what I mean? Well, they won really well. They were up 24 to nothing, probably could have been up 31 or 38 to nothing, uh, you know, almost halfway through the um, third quarter. And then they just stopped playing you know, on offense and defense. They, uh, you know, they, they let uh, Arizona back in the game. The amazing thing was when it got to be 24 to nothing, the crowd was at 43,000 to start with at least half of them were gone by that time. I mean, they just, we're out of here. It's, you know, it was way too hot. Uh, it was supposed to cool off, but it didn't. And they just took off. So uh, when Arizona is making this comeback, they don't have anybody in the stands rooting for them. Not many anyway. Uh, it wasn't exactly a difficult environment to be playing in, but uh I think once USC put, you know, put his foot on the brakes, offense and defense, they couldn't get it started again. And, um, and that was scary. I mean, when, when you're up 24 to nothing and you need a, uh, a good play on an onside kick by the hands team to survive, that's really not, you know, that's not a good thing. Uh, last week they survived with a block field goal at the end against Washington State, but Washington State, and we saw they beat Utah. Washington State comes off as a really competent, uh, well-coached, decent football team and uh, shouldn't have been that close, but you feel like, okay, we did something here. Arizona's not, they don't have enough players. When you look at their players on the field after the game, you know, they're, they're starting to walk on center. Uh, Khalil Tate's playing with, uh, you know, one leg. J.J. Uh, Taylor's, you know, like, five eight and 165 pounds or whatever really uh you know there's just no way they should be staying on the field with uh, with a team that they were trailing 24 to nothing that was uh that was embarrassing the 18 i just saw somebody uh john wilner wrote uh a team you know with 18 uh penalties in a game there ought to be a clause in most coaches contracts that that would violate the contract if you get a game with 18 penalties. That they can, <laughs> that they can just say that ought to be a clause in, in in a contract and say, hey, we don't have to honor this contract. You you had a game with 18 penalties, and that was just the ones that they marked off. There were you know four or five 
where they gained more yards or where there were a couple of penalties on the same play and they only took one of them or whatever. I mean, the legitimate number, probably the Pac-12 record is 21 uh, with a USC game uh, in the uh, uh, 1999, I guess, against Oregon. And the USC and somebody else tied at 21. But I think USC could have surpassed it if they, uh, if, if every penalty that was thrown was marked off, uh, was accepted. Uh, I think they break the record, and and that's just that's just totally unacceptable. I mean, it didn't get any better. Nine in the first half, nine in the second half. It wasn't like they said, "Oh, we're going to not do that the second half." It was just as bad. Uh, it was terrible loss of poise and and and, and lack of discipline. Yeah. I think it's funny when you say 18, it sounds like a lot, but when you say nine each half, that sounds like more to me for some reason, you know what I mean? Like nine and a half is a lot. It's like, you gotta do that twice. Um, we actually, no, I mean, and then and let's say that's 169 yards. So, so, you know, everybody's kind of happy about USC's defense. Arizona's, uh, had 330 yards of offense and 169 yards of penalties. That's 499 yards. I mean, you know, you can say, well, Arizona had 80 yards penalties too. But really, you're dealing in some big, big numbers when you get up to 169 yards or marked off against you in, in one game. I mean, holy criminy. Yeah. We have a question, a voicemail question about penalties. So I'll play that for you and then we'll get on. Yes. Hi, Ryan. This is Ray C. from uh, Riverside. Um, and after watching the game against. Uh, Arizona, um, there was, I, USC has had, had a problem with penalties for such a long time that, um, you know, they, sometimes they, they don't have them in games and then all of a sudden they come back in and it, there was no flow to this game at all. And nobody, you know, as a fan, nobody goes to the game to watch the officials. And this needs to be explained to the players from the coach. That to knock this stuff off because it's very disenchanting to watch. And here I'm, I'm watching it at home, and I, I just can't get into the game at all because it's, it's so chopped up. So um, I don't know if you can get this message to the coach or see what uh, Coach Hyde thinks uh, because there's, you know, it, it's, it's just very uninteresting to, to watch when it's when it's, when, it, when it's played like this. So anyway, thank you very much, and uh, you do a great job. And uh, I, I love your program. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Yeah, choppy, uninteresting, <clears throat> impossible to watch, uh, you, you name it. Uh, and yet, as bad as the officials were, I didn't think it was a game where they were absolutely looking to throw flags except on on it. I think the uh, uh, Iman Marshall, uh, that, uh, that uh, first pass interference was, just a terrible call as far as I was concerned. The ball's up for grabs. He made a great play on it. Official doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, other than that, I mean, USC had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and kind of asked what, what's going on with that. And Clay said, well, you bring them off to the side and you counsel them about if they get another one, they're going to be out of the game. And it's like, don't you just bring them over and say you are already out of the game after their first unsportsmanlike conduct penalty? You're not getting a second one. If you get a second You've one, already... you get ejected anyway, right? Right, like... <laughs> right exactly. So they're saying, well, we tell them 
if they get a second one, they're ejected. I said, no, no, no. You just tell them you got your first one. I'm ejecting you. You're going to sit here down on the bench and you're going to watch because we're not putting up with it. We're not sending you back out there. That's even a chance that you're going to get a second one. I mean, that, 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 you know, well, we'll give them a talking to a talking to come on. <laughs> I mean, you honestly, you could pick out the guys who were going to probably get them. It was pretty obvious that there were guys out of control who were going to get them and they got them. And it was like, didn't anybody, I mean, we're in the press box, but didn't anybody on the field grab them and say, Hey, you're getting really close to the line already. Stop it. It just looks like it just, you know, has a life of its own. And that there's, it's like, you want to say, who's in charge here? Who's telling these guys, who's talking to these guys? I mean, I guarantee you, you know, it's been a long time since I, you know, coached high school football. I would have grabbed somebody and say, stop it. This is stupid. You can't play well when you, when you're out of control and you're going to get us penalized. Stop it. And if they don't, you know, listen to you, then they're not out there. It's just, I don't, I just don't have the sense that that's happening enough. Now, I agree with you there. Um, we had a text question from Chris in Dallas. Why can't USC finish a game? Is Coach Clay Hilton overly optimistic? He tells the media they played well and the players believe it. That game was horrible to watch. So many mistakes and penalties the totality of which made the game hard to watch, even with the success of the offense. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you learn to finish games by finishing practices. And I think, you know, you have to be under pressure to perform all the way through practices. You have to be competitive. You have to be challenged. You have to be pushed. <clears throat> and you learn to do that every day in practice. But if you kind of cruise through parts of practice and if you kind of know that you can, you know, take a little bit of time and whatever, you get to 24 nothing, and you realize, hey, these guys aren't very good. That was a reasonable thing. If you're a USC player, you look at Arizona and you say, they're not that good. So, hey, you know, if the habit is built up in practice every day, no, you push through hard to the end of practice, you really challenge yourself. You really get challenged by the coaches, by the guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, you don't then take off the rest of the game. But if you're in a, ha in a place where everybody tells you how good you are, how special you are, how blah, 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 USC this and USC that, you can end up taking off the rest of the game. And then it's hard to get it back you know, in, uh, under control. I mean, you know, to, to, to score as easily as USC did uh, through the first uh, two and a half quarters and then to end up with punt, 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 fumble, fumble, turn it over on downs. I mean, the fourth and one or fourth and two, whatever, with uh, where all they have to do, they're on the 34-yard line. All they have to do is get a first down and the game is over with 2.03 left. And they can't get the yards. You know, that, that's pathetic. I mean, it's just awful. And, you know, we don't see that enough in practice where they get those tough yards, where they just – and I'll, I'll give them credit. That goal line stand, that was terrific. I wish they did that in practice every day where they line up guys inside the five and let's see who wins that battle. I was really impressed with them, but as Cam Smith said, 
you know, we were really stout, but not stout enough because they finally, you know, they get it in on, on the last play. The good news was they used up a lot of clock um, in that. Uh, I think they had nine plays from the five yard line in. And uh, so, you know, a lot of those, those were good plays for USC, but uh, you don't want to put your team in that position and, uh, you know, to try to get it going again. Now let's go. We've just taken off, uh, you know, 15 minutes, but let's see if we can, you know, gear it back up now. Uh, If you don't do that every day in practice, you probably can't. And they couldn't, they got lucky. Sorry, you mentioned uh, practice. We had George in Oxnard uh, text, in, text in as well. He said, it's painfully obvious that Clay's practices are unfairly sabotaging our team's chances on game day. It's undeniable. We all know you play how you practice. We see evidence of this every single week. Does Clay just not know this or believe this? Does he genuinely believe that his practices effectively prepare our players Imagine this. Clay announces to the team that the next practice is in shorts and shells. The entire team comes out united and in full pads. One of our leaders says, not today, coach. We're ready to go to war. Wow. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Fight on, George and Oxenard. Yeah, me too, George. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I talked to somebody today. Who, uh, I had talked to Jackie Slater once and was talking to him. He was on after a Rams game the other day. He was so worried about the NFL trend to, you know, not practice in pads, and he thinks it's hurting the sport. And he said one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I survived, Jackie just said I survived 20 years in the NFL and All-Pro and Hall of Famer, was he practiced in pads every single day. He didn't care what the team did. He showed up in pads. That wouldn't be a – you would like to see that someday where the kids just say, you know what, Coach, we think we need to go in pads today. And I think – one of the things that is just so hard to evaluate in terms of where USC is now is that Clay is the third straight coach, head coach at USC, who was a quarterback, which means in his entire life and in Steve Sarkeesian's entire life and in Lane Kiffin's entire life, they didn't ever hit anybody in practice ever. And they almost never were hit in practice for all the years that they played football. And you've got three of those coaches, you know, two of them learning from the other one and one of them, you know, the current guy learned from those two. And so basically you're being coached by a guy who wore a yellow jersey his whole football career. And the danger seems to be that they've now put yellow jerseys on the whole team. And that's not a way to play football. Somebody sent me a a pro football focus, uh, uh, tackling percentage and it had like after five games Georgia is like 97 percent and USC is like 59 percent in terms of tackling opportunities and, and I don't even know all this you know the inside of that particular stat and I'm going to have to check it out but uh, uh, you know they're you know again you play like you practice and uh, I think that's about as clear as anything you could say. Um, Jack from New Jersey wrote an email and he said, I was just listening to the coach Harvey Hyde podcast on my way home from work tonight. And Ryan, I heard you say that the team is only practicing two times this week. So he said, here's some bulletin board memos for the team for me. One failing to prepare is preparing to fail Two, hard work beats talent. When talent doesn't work hard, three, control yourself, control the ball, control your opponent. Jack from New Jersey. Uh, but maybe comment on that and the, the, the practice. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Uh, I mean, that schedule was set 
before the Arizona game. So you kind of wondered, wouldn't it be good to wait and see how Arizona goes before you set the next eight days? Because basically they were setting Sunday through Sunday. And they basically said, we're going to go twice, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's it. And, you know, you just think, couldn't, wasn't there any possibility that something that would have happened Saturday in the Arizona game would affect how you choose to practice the next week? I would think that would be the case. If the players realize, you know, what we do in games kind of doesn't matter. It's just, you know, we're going to do what we're going to do. Uh, I think there's one of the problems now. I think there's become kind of a defensiveness in the coaching staff uh, in terms of maybe not wanting to admit that, man, it looks like what we're doing isn't really working all that well. I mean, when you look at some of the – after five games, even though they've played a couple of pretty tough teams and they've played three on the road, the trends are pretty – statistically are probably pretty, uh, you know, accurate. And would you have all of those uh, uh, statistical categories nationally where USC is below 100, below 120 out of 129 teams, that's just, that's unacceptable in, in every measure. And a lot of the stats where they're not doing so well are offensive stats where, you know, again, this team can't be that bad on offense with the people that they put out on the field. There's just no excuse for that. Um, and there they are. I mean, and to think that there's only two opportunities in eight days to try to improve on those really, really awful. I mean, those are the worst. This is the worst statistical team USC's had, certainly since I've been around. I mean, the idea that you've got team a team that's below 120 in any category is is just insane that USC would be there. And to think that you can get out of there and get, you know, righted <clears throat> without practicing. I mean, when you say it's up to me to change what we're doing on penalties, it's up to me to change this and change that. And you say, well, how do you change it? if you're not practicing and a lot of it is, I don't know that they, there's a belief that practice matters that much. I mean, there's a sense of, of how do you correct the penalties? We're going to talk to them about it. We're going to show them video of it. We're going to explain this is an administrative penalty. Uh, this is a fundamental technique penalty. This is a decision-making penalty. No, you're not writing a textbook. You're trying to, you know, coach your team up. And you don't need to break it down for them into the three categories of penalties and, and, <laughs> and, and, and have a video if and say, well, this is, it's like, <laughs> stop it. If you have 18 penalties, you need categories, Dan. There's just too many to like say they're all one thing. <laughs> but right away, you get really nervous when you're you know, putting them in categories and you just think, what are you doing? That, how is that going to help you not commit them by you know, defining them as, you know, administ- administrative. Oh, yeah, that's the you jump off sides. That's an administrative penalty. It's like, oh, my God, you know. Arizona State only had one penalty against uh, Oregon State, so I don't know what uh, – how do you categorize those? Like, there's just one. Uh, I, it's hard to even imagine. <laughs> Everybody was giggling about Herman Edwards, and then, you know, here they come. 
uh, I get the sense that <clears throat> the Pac-12 officials kind of know what the stereotype is, and they've kind of wanted to go the other way, it looks to me. From watching those earlier games, they haven't been, you know, like when Glass's ref was running amok, you know, and they couldn't wait to get the mic on and, and have the attention turned to them. I don't get the sense that's what they want to do this year. They're still not any good. But uh, they were forced to throw most of those penalties the other night. Uh, it was just, yeah. I mean, those poor guys. I try to remember, there was one play, it was, I think it was a, a punt, and there were so many penalties on it on both teams. They ended up, I think, at the one at, at the air, I mean, uh, yeah, at the Arizona 43 yard line when they were supposed to be at the USC 43 yard line, like they missed by 14 yards where they were supposed to end up because there were so many penalties on one play. <laughs> they kept, they had to huddle up and no, wait, I think it's on the, uh, this for, so they had to move the ball back and it was like, this is crazy. I mean, it's just, it was, it was silly. It was embarrassing. I mean, I thought the, I thought they got off to a bad start, and I'm not. I I just don't think he should probably do the coin toss in Spanish. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody in the press box was like, "What did he say? Who the Gatos? Did the Gatos win the uh, win the toss or the you know who gets the pelota or whatever?" It was like, it was like what? Is, and then on the scoreboard they've got you know the Gatos against the Troyanos, and we're thinking this is probably not a good start because literally I don't know that anybody in the press box was a hundred percent sure what happened in the, uh, in the coin toss. And I, there must've been a reason for it, but, uh, it probably didn't get things off to a great start. And then after that, it, it got worse. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even realize that, that it was all done in Spanish. That's funny. I yes. didn't, I didn't yes, know that. It was. And the, the referee, he apparently speaks really good Spanish. So, uh, you know, it sounded very good if you could un understand Spanish and we probably all should be able to, but unfortunately, we all don't, and yeah. I'm just not sure. <laughs> That's one of the things I would just love to do. Is like, and I'm just, you know, I was an engineer, so I never really was doing languages, and uh, it's just hard for me to learn. It's hard for me to speak English now, let alone like learn Spanish. <laughs> but I would love to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But you probably don't want to do it in the middle of a football game um, between the Gatos <laughs> and the Troyanos. Troyanos, nice. I could figure that one out. So then I knew Gatos must be Wildcats. But, uh, yeah. Uh, oh. well, when you're talking about that was the inauspicious start to the USC-Arizona uh, game, USC actually had a pretty good start to their yeah. preparation for this season. We have a question. We, this comes up a lot, the mock game week stuff. Our buddy Curtis Marino Valley called in. Hey, Curtis, by the way, try to leave like one voicemail a week or so. You're leaving like six voicemails. Like, I can't play six voicemails from you, but here's one of the ones he left. Here you go. Hey, Ryan Curtis from Moreno Valley. Um, Peristyle, Reign of Troy, uh, even Traveler Hayes Thursdays thought that mock game week, we were prepared to play against anybody. We played one against the ones, and every position was up for grabs. Obviously, this is how Pete Carroll practiced every week. Yeah, nobody liked it because... Uh, it would have injuries. You would add to more injuries, but his players were ready for the game. They were more prepared for the game. So mention my game week to this coach so he'll get it. He does listen to us. 
You mentioned my game week. He'll believe it's his own idea, and it is. He prepared that. He just isn't using it anymore. If he goes through that every week, his guys will be as best prepared as they can be for hitting and tackling and and playing hard and fast, going ones against the ones with all the substitutions that they do, offense against defense, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, Curtis, I, I think this is where the quarterback takes over. I know a couple of years ago, I was really impressed where they were. Uh, the first two weeks of preseason, I guess that was a, a longer preseason, maybe the first three weeks uh, before the Alabama game. And then they took the last two weeks and did nothing but do the game plan for Alabama and try to change what they were and try to fool Alabama and whatever. So they basically didn't do anything in the last two weeks to get ready for Alabama, and Alabama just steamrolled them. But the first three weeks, they had you know kind of really competed, and uh, positions were some somewhat open, and uh, you know they they looked pretty physical and and pretty fast. The thing about peace practices, they didn't get a lot of guys hurt. Uh, they went short. The hour and forty five minutes was pretty much the longest they went. Um, they didn't do a lot of ones against ones, but but a couple of times uh, in practice they would, and maybe they do eight plays or whatever. But it was enough. If you were Sean Cody and you were going against um, Jacob Rogers and you got two All Americans going against one another, they made one another better, and uh, and and they they pushed them and they finished up uh, strong every day, and it was just. They made it feel like more like a game, and they weren't tackling people and knocking them to the ground. Although when they did drills like the uh, uh, turnover drills on Wednesday or whatever, and you watched, uh, you know, Troy Palomalu, and, and I said this a million times, that it's so true. Or uh, you know, Matt Grittigan or Lofa Tatupu ripped the ball away. I mean, you just thought everything they we've seen them do in games, they did in practice first. And uh, that seems to be the missing element is how do, how does what you do in practice translate to games? And that's where the great coaches understand what it is we have to do at practice to be able to do it in games. And, you know, Howard Jones could do it and, and John McKay could do it. And I think, you know, John Robinson, the first time is, is, is he, you know, he was a killer at practice. And, you know, the guys that played on that team say, man, you know, that they, you know, then he came back from the NFL and might not have been the same situation. But uh, and then Pete came in and had all the all the stuff that he liked to do. And he he was an outlier in the NFL and brought it all together at USC. And uh, they didn't ever let another. I think one other college coach the whole time I was here, Pete was here. Did they let watch a practice? They just didn't. They wanted to be able to do it their way and not, you know, have everybody else understand what they're doing. And uh, I'm not sure even the coaches that were on the staff, which uh, obviously Lane and Sark were, I don't know that they got it. They were thinking about plays and writing plays on napkins and, you know, (laughs) at gathering places that they would uh, hang out. And uh, that's what was important to them. Where, and I don't know that they got the real lesson of, of what was, uh, you know, what was the driving force in USC football when Pete was here. And, uh, you know, it was competitive and, and 
and fast and hard edged and uh and 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 just being more ready to play uh under pressure than the people you were playing and uh I don't think that what they're doing now gets them ready to do that as we see week after week after week after week uh and they got to figure out how to get there and if you're defensive about we can't change because then we'll admit we weren't we didn't know what we were doing and then you end up with, uh, you know, we're just going to keep doing it the same way and hope for better results. And I'm not sure we all know what that's the definition of. So, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that, that's a subject that came up during the, um, the live show we were talking about where it just seems like there's, there's this reluctance. You mentioned the schedule, you know, for the eight games off, there was two scheduled practices. Now, apparently they, they did practice on Monday a little bit, like their normal kind of Monday sort of walkthrough-ish sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, like, like they have a meeting and a walkthrough, which is what they do, and they never count it as a practice, and we're yeah. not allowed to be there. But I think, so, they count, I think, I think Clay Helen was, talked about it on the – they do their Facebook Live show. He talked about that we practice today because I think he saw some of the criticism that they weren't practicing much. But it seems like there there's a reluctance to – they came in with a plan, and they, it's like there's a reluctance to change the plan no matter what. Like it doesn't matter what you're seeing – um, it, it seems like they just want to stick with the plan. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why there's like, it, it's like you're admitting you're wrong. If you want to change the plan, as opposed to that's learning, you're a young head coach, you're learning on the job. Uh, yeah. That's acceptable. But I, I don't get that. And we, we talked about it. it. That's the only thing you can do. You can't not learn on the job and you can't not react quickly to your own team. Teams have different personalities. Teams need to learn differently. Teams you know, you find out, oh, that's not working. Okay, we got to do, you know, <laughs> we just keep doing this. But to say, I mean, Clay, I think, was very proud of the fact how they changed. Not only did they change in year one when they, you know, brought Sam Darnold in, but they changed the way they practiced. They got rid of the music. They became much more uh, technique-oriented and, and, and tried to be, you know, perfect in terms of technique. and all. So that was a big change. And Clay thought that really was the answer. So he wasn't afraid to change in year one, but now here we're year three and there's a, a real reluctance. And even when they really change, they don't want to talk about it. For example, if you look at the, you know, the play sheet from Saturday, they threw the ball just 24 times, half the number they threw at Texas. They ran it 47, almost twice as many runs as, as passes. And yet, we didn't hear anything about balance, you know? I mean, all of a sudden, the word balance is not in their vocabulary uh, when they go 47-24. Uh, and it's like, well, that's it. And so, you know, well, what was all this talk all along for years about having balance? Um, you know, and a lot of people make fun of that because it doesn't matter. Balance is only, you know, if that's the best way to go, and you can do it uh, in a particular game, great. If not, it's just an artificial, you know, construct that you throw out there, balance, you know. No, I mean, if, if, if they can't stop the pass, you don't start running it just for the hell of it, just to balance out the numbers or vice versa, uh, which sometimes it looks like they're doing, actually. Uh, but, uh, but balance is uh apparently not a not as important as it seemed to be um in recent weeks uh for saturday and 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 we still don't know what the real reason was that you know that they said well 
we didn't want to put too much uh, uh, on a freshman quarterback in a hostile environment. And you think, wait a minute, you're playing in Tucson. Even when they all show up, it's not a hostile environment. Yeah. Uh, that I made mean, no sense to me because you, you let JT Daniels drop back 51 times in front of the largest crowd to ever see a Texas football team play. But you were worried about him in Arizona when it was a third full? Like, that didn't make any sense. Made no sense at all. Zero sense. So, I mean, I think they thought they could run the ball. Not only there any question about it. They thought they could run the ball. And for a lot of the game, they could, except when they needed short yardage, then they couldn't run it. Uh, which is the, the really frustrating part here is <clears throat> even in a game where you are running the ball successfully against a team that can't stop the run, you still couldn't get it when you, you know, you could put the game away on one play and you couldn't do it. And, and that's, a pro- and obviously it's a problem if half the, da- half the, you know, series of downs, you're second and, you know, or first and 15 because somebody jumped. Or, uh, you know, first and 20 because somebody grabbed somebody or whatever. I mean, if you're going to run the ball and run it successfully, you got to avoid those penalties. You just can't keep putting yourself in the jackpot. And, uh, and that happens way too often. So to even talk about <clears throat> having a run first team, you got to be a no penalty team. Run first teams don't do well if they constantly are penalizing themselves and looking at, you know, long distance, uh, forget the run then at that point. And then, you know, the other team can come and, uh, and get JT. And I mean, it's amazing. The last two games, both Washington state and, uh, Arizona, two teams that really don't play football because they don't have the kind of players that you can really play football with, uh, in terms of physical, quick, tough, and both teams have gotten more sacks than USC got. Uh, in those games, USC got a sack in each game. Port Augustine got one. That was it. And uh, so Washington State and Arizona both got you know more sacks than USC. That's really unacceptable. You just can't can't do that. You got to be better than that, USC. Yeah, um, it's funny. Yeah, there seems like there's an accountant there sometimes. Like, oh, uh, we need a few more runs. Uh, there's <laughs> passes. It's okay to say, you know what? We th- we felt like we could run all over this team, so we just said we're going to run all over this team. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, no. I think it was what Pete Carroll was it one of the the bowl games where like Pete, like they didn't throw a pat like they didn't run the ball once in like the second half against Michigan or something they just let right. like against Michigan John right David they Brady. came out through it basically every uh, yeah and they had been stupid the first half and they were you know running into Michigan strength and against USC strength and Michigan you know was coming out of a Big Ten where they don't see people that throw the ball really well. And, you know, they had, they were helpless against USC's, uh, you know, passing game. And they finally <coughs> decided, you know, well, let's, uh, let's just test them. And, and they didn't ever go back. I mean, that was, give them credit for that one. They, they, you know, got off on the wrong track and they realized we can correct this. But, uh, uh, that's what Clay has to do, I think, at this point. It's very much like he's at the halftime of the Michigan, uh, uh, Rose Bowl game. And, uh, what's your call, coach? Uh, well, so it's Stuart talking about balance. I wanted to play this for you. Someone tweeted this at me this uh, this morning, I think it was, or late last night. And uh, Mike Leach was at the podium. And whenever that happens, it's always fun. But actually, I tweeted it out too. Oh, you I, did? Okay. I, I, and I don't know if that was the one, but I loved it. I mean, I just thought, okay, this guy, listen to this guy. Uh, well, here, I'm going to play the, it's about a minute and a half. I'm going to play the audio for you. And if it wasn't, you know, to, 
to be fair, Clay Helton just beat Mike Leach head to head. But this kind of seems like a, I don't know. I don't think Leach would be doing this, but this, when it comes off as like, that's something that you're like, it's your philosophy is balance and Mike Leach just blows it up, but I'll play it for you and then get your thoughts. Here you go. Balance more so is who's touching the ball versus how they're touching it. I want all the positions to touch it. Nothing bad. There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass. Cause that's 50% stupid. Now, uh, what, what, uh, what is balanced is when you have five skill positions, if all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion, then that's balanced. But this notion that if you hand it to one guy 50% of the time and then you throw it to a combination of two guys, the other 50%, that you're really balanced and you proudly pat yourself on the back uh, uh, and tell yourself that. And people have been doing that for decades. Well, then you're delusional. So, um, uh, yeah, that's how I look at it. I just think stuff over time, just, you know, somebody does it and somebody has success. And I think it it becomes kind of self-perpetuating, I think, you know, and as they have success. Well, you know, we're balanced, 50% run, 50% pass, you know. And uh, no, there's nothing clever about that. The clever thing is, you know, the wishbone, who I think is a great offense, which I think is a great offense. There's nothing 50% run about the wishbone, you know. They're they're like 95% run, but everybody touched the ball. That's why it's one of the greatest offenses uh, devised. Yeah, so pretty interesting stuff from Mr. Leach. He's so good. I like a 50% offense, 50% 50 run, 50% pass, 50% delusional. I just think that's. <laughs> That's so good, and and the idea is if you've got five really good skilled people, uh, you know, divide it up among them, balance it among them, but you don't have to balance it, you know, run and pass equal numbers or like he said, you could have one guy run the ball half the time and two guys catch it half the time. Is that balance if you've got five or six skilled people? Uh, and really good points. Do what you can do well against the other team, and and do it as well as you can. And do it with the personnel you've got and, and build it to, you know, but you don't, you know, if you're, I mean, you know, we talk about how many times JT dropped back against Texas. When you've got minus five rushing yards, he probably should have dropped back 20 more times. You know, I mean, they probably, every pass or every uh, non-pass they called was, was idiocy. I mean, you just, you know, there are times when you, you just go with what you might be able to, you know, make work. And, uh, but uh, he does say it in a way that uh, uh, <laughs> that you really. There are times when he's right. He's really right, and he just puts it out there and uh, and doesn't care. No, good stuff uh, <laughs> for Mike Leach. He likes the wishbone, you know. Fifty percent <laughs> stupid is a it's a really good quote. Uh, Lane Kiffin tweeted that out too. Yeah, fifty percent stupid. Yeah. yeah, Lane Kiffin tweeted that out too. So that was pretty funny. Um, we had a question from Dave in San Diego. With a big lead against an overmatched opponent, why does USC snap the ball with so much time left on the play clock? Play clock. USC's longest drive in the second half was two minutes and 13 seconds long. Interesting. Well, I mean, they were just so out of sorts. I mean, they couldn't, you know, between the penalties, and they looked like they weren't going with the stuff that, you know, that was really working. It was like, were they trying this or trying that? And I, I think they get into a tendency to grab bag a little bit. 
And then, you know, I don't know that they always trust what got them there. I mean, there is a lack of trust. I think they really need to, and I think that's something else that you develop at practice is that sense of trust that we can trust you, the, you know, the offensive line, they're not going to jump off sides. They're going to crush somebody when they, you know, the play's coming their way. Um, you know, they're not going to hold, they're not going to put you in a, you know, first and 20. And, uh, when it's an obvious passing situation and they're coming, they're going to pick somebody up. And, uh, you know, all of those things didn't happen at times. And it, that creates a situation where, where you do start grab bagging, uh, plays and hoping they're going to work and, and you just get totally out of sorts, but to have, uh, I guess it was six straight so-called drives possessions uh, come up with just nothing, you know, punt, punt, punt. I mean, you look on the, the drive sheet, it was punt, 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 fumble, fumble, down. And that was the fourth down where, where they could have you know, secured the game. But that's just, that's unacceptable. That was a bad job by everybody involved. And, um, and well, we saw what happened, but, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that I would have been taking more time off the clock, uh, to be honest. They should have been running their offense and getting really good at, at what they're doing. And I don't think when you're up 24 to nothing that you should even be thinking about the clock. You just run your offense and do it like you always do and get the job done. And, you know, they, they do take a lot of time, though, getting those plays in from the sideline. They're doing a whole lot of signaling. You know, with the whole team, I mean, I'd, I'd almost as soon have them go into the huddle if they're going to take all that time and have the whole team look into the sideline for, you know, 15 or 20 seconds. That just doesn't seem real productive. We uh, Dustin has some true-false for us. Uh, he said, let's do a little true-false. What are your take on the following statements? So first one, once the season starts, Clay Helton does not believe that your team can see significant gains from practice. What do you think? That, that seems to be true in terms of Clay's <laughs> mind. I mean, it's not, not mine, but I mean, he said that pretty much that the way young players get better is uh, game experience pretty much. And when you watch practice, you pretty much believe that. Yep. I would agree. True there too. He's, and then the other one is, when USC hired Clay Helton, they hired a coach who needed to learn on the job. With the same mistakes popping up over and over again over the last few years, it is apparent that he hasn't actually learned anything. Thanks in advance, and back to my football-related depression, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that would be a key if you are a young first-time head coach and the, and you get the unbelievable uh, you know, honor and opportunity to coach at USC you would probably try to convince everybody that you are going to learn every way and every day that you can learn. And you're going to make it clear that you don't have all the answers and that you're trying to figure it out as best you can. And that you and the players are going to figure it out together and you're going to get somewhere. I just don't think you want to send a message that no, what we did is right. And someday it's going to pay off. It may not have paid off last game or the game before or the game before or the game before, but we're convinced we're doing the right things the right way. Um, that, that just doesn't wash. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, you would want to be the guy that says, I don't have all the answers and I'm going to do everything I can to help this team get the answers. And, and I do think, 
the concentration on we did this well, we did this well, we did this well. Oh, and yeah, there were those, those penalties, but we'll fix that. I think you just say, we're going to fix the penalties. Screw all the rest of that stuff. We expect to be able to run the ball. We expect to play pretty good defense. We expect the special teams to perform, obviously. None of those have been the case all the way through. But you just say, that's the expectation. We're going to work on the things that really held us back. And that's what I'm going to talk about. That's what I'm going to coach. That's what we're going to do. We assume that we're going to be good in all these other areas. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about them. You got enough people. If you do well, people are going to tell you you're doing well. You don't need to be talking about what you're doing well. You need to be talking about what you're not doing well and what almost cost you a game and maybe the Pac-12 South and maybe, you know, your coaching career. That's the thing you would think you'd want to, you know, focus on. Not, hey, we ran the ball pretty well except for those short yardage deals where we almost gave the game away. Uh, <laughs> no, don't. That's not the way to do it. You yeah. talk to them about this is where we got to get better. This is unacceptable for the coaches, for the players, for all of us. We have to get better and not, well, we're doing pretty good at this and this and this. Well, that, think, yeah. That's the big question. Yeah. And like that's Stephen Poway, he wrote a lot of questions, but we're going to read the first one for you. Um, how does the team get better? How do they stop shooting themselves in the foot? And how did their performance on the field start to match the talent in the last four signing classes? I mean, that's the question. Um, I think you have to believe in practice. And you have to believe in practice can make you much closer to being perfect. And you've got to push people in practice the way they're going to be pushed in games. And you've got to get them comfortable, and I hate using that word in a way, comfortable with being pushed and pushing themselves to the point where they're really confident when those moments come up, they're going to do the right thing, make the right play, because they've done it in practice. And I don't know that there's been a kind of a devaluation of practice, I do believe, that that that... For, and, and we know the reasons too, besides the, you know, run of quarterbacks, uh, you had the, uh, you know, the, the ridiculously unfair NCAA sanctions in terms of scholarships. That should have been illegal. I mean, nobody should be forced to go out there with so many fewer scholarship players than the people they're playing. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's almost a, the kind of law, you know, if you're going to say, oh, we're worried about concussions. Who was worried about USC players when they had, you know, basically could play 12 guys on, on defense against the number four Stanford team that one year or all the other things like that. So USC got into a position where Lane Kiffin came in and said, well, we're going to do it like an NFL team. NFL has 51 players on the roster, and this is how we're going to approach things. But it wasn't an NFL team. It was a college team, kids that need to learn how to play. And uh, and yeah, well, they were in that situation unfairly, but, and they're not in that situation now, but it sort of built up, it seems, over the years, uh, this more of an NFL approach, uh, to, to practice. And I, I don't think that serves college teams well, and I don't think it's served this team well over the years. I don't, I don't think they know how to, 
push themselves, how to play really hard. Um, I would think this team, you know, if if they got thrown into the Nick Saban meat grinder for a week or two, this would be very difficult for these guys to just and 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 Saban, you know, makes no bones about it. His job is to push his players harder than they ever want to be pushed and see see how they react and learn to react and getting pushed past their point of any comfort level uh, to the point where they can perform under really, you know, in a difficult situations. And it's not that unlike, um, you know, the uh, Marine Corps, you know, drill sergeant, all the ways in which they, you know, prepare, you know, Green Berets and Navy SEALs. And when you think about it, college football performing at that top level college football isn't that unlike other than the, you know, obviously serious purpose of fighting wars. It's still physically and, and, and competitively in that kind of that same area. And, and maybe you have to do more of that kind of pushing of your kids instead of what seems to be almost, um, you know, coddling them. And, and if the, if the most important objective of this week is to come out with fresh legs, what good are fresh legs if you have no idea what you're doing, if you have no idea how you're doing it, if you don't have the poise and all of that to be able to do it in a game? Having fresh legs, um, I'm not sure that should be like high on the priorities list. This isn't a cross-country meet. And having fresh legs wouldn't be way, way, way at the top of, of my you know, this is what we want to get out of, of this. I agree with you, Dan. We got so many more. I want to do two quick ones for you and then I'll send you the rest. You can do a, a column since it's a bye week You know, we'll, we'll let you do. There's a lot of really good questions. I apologize. We sure. can't get to all Great. of them. We'll do two quick ones because I know you got to go to practice. But Frank in Sacramento says, JT Daniels missed two sure touchdowns on long balls to wide open receivers that he underthrew. He has not yet figured out the... Co- has he not yet figured out that college receivers are faster than those in high school? And it's funny, I got a text from a former NFL scout, and he told me he thinks that JT Daniels is just putting a little too much air under some of the deep balls. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think one of the things that's happening is he doesn't have any cushion in the pocket. When he's got cushion in the pocket, I don't think you see him uh, coming up short. I do think there are times when the pocket is kind of collapsing on him on those deep balls where he has to basically uh, throw it with mostly arm and doesn't get a chance to take that big step and that big follow through. I'd like to see him do more of the deep play action stuff, which gets him deeper, you know, in the pocket. But, uh, but I, I think that's more than anything, but I do think there's an adjustment to uh, uh, college uh, uh, more to me. It's the, the amount of uh, uh, ground that a college defender can make up with the ball in the air. And that's just something you got to work on. And that is where you need to work on stuff like that full speed every day in practice, because a, a kid like JT has to see, okay, if I do this and I get this much air under the ball, I'm giving this guy, uh, I see what kind of a, a you know, lead uh, my receiver has, but I can see how much this guy's going to make up for it. Uh, in terms of catching up so and then you decide you know do I throw more of a dart you know I mean some of those for example some of those um, those touchdown passes that he's thrown he's he's lofted the ball purposely because you've got to get it over 
really close uh, coverage situations. I mean, the one to Amon Ra, uh, you know, at the sideline last week uh, was just uh, in the end zone. As perfect a ball as you can throw. I think JT can throw all the balls. I don't know that he can throw them just with his arm if you're talking about a 50-yarder that has to be, uh, you know, out in front. Uh, and I think a lot of that, again, is I think he, he needs to give, be given a little more cushion in the pocket. And uh, you're never sure if this is the play that it's going to break down uh, in the pocket. So I think that all goes together. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, it's something they got to work on. I think the hardest thing to work on in football is deep pass pattern because it takes so much out of everybody, uh, all that running. And uh, so teams probably aren't able to practice those deep balls as much as you'd like to see them. Uh, and, and so it's, that is, of all the things, figuring out how do we do this in, in practice, in this practice today, I think is the hardest thing to do. But since that's what JT does so well, uh, USC has to figure out, how to get that right. Uh, but, uh, but there are a lot of factors. It's not just one, it's not just one thing. The one last one, Don, what is Toa's problem? He's talking about Toa Loban, Don, USC center, lack of concentration. I almost believe Brett Nealon is a better center, maybe not talent, but more effective and fewer mental mistakes. And I know, uh, Clay Helton addressed this a little bit on, uh, the Sunday conference call. Yeah, I mean, they're very uh, uh, pleased with Toa's athleticism. I, I'm not so sure of him as just somebody that can just, you know, blast uh, a nose tackle off the ball. But they really like the way he gets out. And a lot of times you don't have anybody on the, on the center and the way he gets out and uh, in space and, and is able to, to, you know, to block somebody. Uh, I think Brett Nealon is a pretty darn athletic kid. Um, I do think he snaps the ball better. I don't know with Toa if it's a if it's a hand thing or a, a shoulder thing, but uh, you know there are just ways in which he doesn't seem to have you know a really good you know grasp on the football, and uh, and that's a factor. And I and I think you know the fact that, that Toa could play anywhere on the line of scrimmage would make you think uh, about about it, but Clay's obviously not thinking about it. He is. Could not be stronger. Toe is our guy. He's doing great. You know, no, you know, he's almost made no mistakes blocking people. And um, you know, you do wonder how some of those plays they run that get absolutely stoned. Uh, none of those are are on Toa, according to Clay. Uh, but uh, but I don't think they're going to make a change there. And I do think there is a factor here that um, they would like to help Toa get to the NFL. And I think the best chance Toa has of playing in the NFL is a multi-purpose uh, guy who could play any of the positions if needed. And the ability to play center, I think, you know, when it comes time to, you know, cut the roster and all that, I think the offensive lineman that can play center to give you a backup at, at any place on the offensive line really has an advantage. So I think they don't want to take that away uh, from Toa, whether that's a, whether that's a good reason or not. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, an absolute reason uh, for for not making a change there. All right, Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. Lots of great stuff, Dan. Thanks uh, for coming on. We'll let you go uh, get off to practice, and I'll uh, I'll edit okay. this and get this up for everybody. 
Um, but yeah, good stuff. Well, and there's a lot of questions left. So make sure you check uscfootball.com. Dan will put a column up at some point later in the week when he gets around to it, maybe this weekend, uh, kind of addressing all those questions, but a lot of really good ones. I, I do apologize. There's just no way we can, we can get to them all. It should be a quieter week now with the bye week. We'll see if we get a lot more, but after a game like that, I do think, are, yeah, by the way, I do think if, uh, we got the, the leech video, uh, clip, uh, do we ever want to resurrect the Allen Iverson practice? He's talking <laughs> about practice clip. That one we maybe ought to uh, <clears throat> recycle and uh, and get that one out there. That was one of the all-time greatest uh, uh, clips in uh, American sports history. Uh, and maybe it applies a little bit here. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but that, was, <laughs> that was as good as it gets. Awesome. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, thanks, Dan. And uh, we'll be back in one minute talking with Rafael Esparza about the uh, betting lines for last week's game and, and what's going forward. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle podcast, people have been asking me for betting advice. Are the Trojans going to cover the spread? Truth is, I don't know who's going to win. But if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys. They're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. You can lay down some cash and win big today. That's why I'm urging you to go make your way to MyBookie. You win and they pay. They have in-game, live betting, and the most rewarding player perks in the business and all you fantasy gurus out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So if you join now, MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code PARASTYLE to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code PARASTYLE when creating an account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we are back here on the Peristyle podcast. As promised, we have Rafael Esparza. Follow him on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. He's with Doc Sports Service and also is an odds maker consultant for mybookie.ag. Raphael, how's it going? What's going, man? How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Can I complain? I get the bye week. So we don't have a, a preview this week. So we, uh, we well, talk- I mean, we do. Colorado, I mean, we can see what they do. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, it's a great week. Uh, of taking it off because Colorado's no sleepover. They're going to wound and pound and they play really physical football that we normally don't see in Pac-12. So uh, it's a much, uh, it could be a lot easier uh, by week or rougher by week if you would have lost last week. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you can kind of sleep a little easier knowing you get a win, even though it wasn't the prettiest of wins. Um, we'll talk about Colorado in a second, but maybe is, is there an early line because that's two weeks out? Do they do like an early line for that? Uh, we did over the summer. Like we put lines up on all the games, but then we just take them down. Because I, 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 I would think that, uh, with that game being at home, I'm sure USC was probably at double digits over the summer, but no offense on how they're playing right now and scraping <laughs> out a victory at Arizona. Uh, they will be a favorite, but there's no way they're probably going to be the same number they were in July. Gotcha. Yeah, no offense, like, USC. <laughs> no, that's what, yeah. Like like last weekend, UCLA over the summer would have been a big favorite, probably over Colorado at home. But I mean, on the road. But that's not what it landed on. No, and like I said, I would highly recommend uh, watching that game, Arizona State Colorado, because that could be a big difference on injuries, how Colorado plays, and what the number is going to post up on that game or how 
USC maybe need to win that game. So it's a very interesting uh, game uh, where Colorado has to play uh, at home against the Sun Devils this week. Yeah, they look like a real team. Like LaVisca Chenault is a stud receiver. Steven Montez is playing really well. Um, the McMillan kid, the transfer from Virginia Tech, was just pounding over people. So they got they got a legit you know, receiver, uh, running back, and quarterback. So that'll be good. We'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But this weekend... USC got its first cover, Rafael. The first time this year they covered the spread, and it was thanks to a missed extra point at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, of all ways to cover because, I mean, that was a big uh, win for the books because I heard a lot of people were betting on Arizona just because the way USC has been playing all season long and not uh, being able to cover games all season long. So uh, the betting public is starting to realize that, and I think that's why – if USC continues to play much better, I shouldn't say I shouldn't use the word much. Playing better, uh, we're going to start seeing some numbers that we that maybe you might want to take a look at playing the Sun Devils because I think the odds makers may maybe will way over adjust or uh, may sleep, or the public may just be betting against them, and you can get a softer number on USC, and then maybe when the real USC comes to play, what me and you thought we might see, uh, we might be able to get a better number and maybe make some cash. So uh, I was watching. Um... Uh, what was it last night? Why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Stuart, uh, not Stuart Scott. Oh my God. Um, what, why am I blanking? Uh, the guy that does the bad beats. Do you remember on ESPN? What's his name? Oh yeah. I can't. Uh, I just said it to you. I, I, can't think. I said it before. And I, I know. I know. This is cause I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do the bad beats on ESPN on the late night, um, sports center stuff. And, uh, they, no, they weren't making this clear. USC, you know, Arizona not, not you know winning this game on the uh, spread wise was not a bad beat. USC was supposed to cover. They were up 21, 24, nothing. It was just this comeback from Arizona. Then it looks like because they score that last touchdown, they kicked the extra point. They're going to cover the spread. It was a horrible, it's something horrible that happened to anyone that was betting um, Arizona but it wasn't a bad beat because the team that was supposed to cover that was up 24, nothing covered. Uh, yes. Uh, and Scott Van Pelt. That's yeah, it. Scott Van Pelt. <laughs> he, his name, his name just popped in, but yeah, I mean, for, for it's funny how some people don't look at bad beats. Some people think, Hey, that was a great beat for us. So it's, I always like to hear when people say what's bad beats, what isn't bad beats. Cause at the same time, a bad beat for someone is a nice cash for someone else. So <laughs> yeah, the extra field goal, yeah, that's a bad beat if you're looking for somebody that, that had the other side, but you, someone else on the, on the other side is giving you a high five. So I love when people say bad beats because it's not bad beats for, for everybody. It's a bad beat for just that one person. So before I let you go, we'd, like we said, we're, we'll talk about Colorado more next week. But I was curious this week, and I asked you to put some numbers together. Uh, during the Clay Helton era, um, what you know? how have they done covering the spread? And then you said, so 2015, he took over as the interim and then at the end got the uh, permanent head coaching job. So he was three and six against the spread that year, 2016, the Rose bowl year was his best year, eight and five, but then four and 10 last year. And so far uh, one and three. So for overall record of 16 and 24 against the spread, what, what does that mean? Like for a USC fan, you know, for a team that, you know, there's aspirations of trying to make the college football playoff. What does those kind of numbers tell you? 
Um, don't bet on your favorite team. Maybe just wait, maybe just watch them just for a win and go to a bowl game. Because to me, it just tells. I mean, most of the elite teams will usually cover. Now, don't look at, don't go after you listen to this podcast and, and listen to it more than once because we're the greatest two podcasters on, on the planet Earth. Don't go to Alabama shows and, and listen to them because they have a horrible against the spread. That's because Alabama is like minus 30, 40. Sometimes they're not going to cover those big ones. But let's take someone in that conference, the Pac-12, the Pac-12 where Stanford, I know they have long agenda of the coach, and that's a huge factor on that. But their, their against the spread record is really good. I mean, last year, 7-7, seven seven, year before, 7-6, 2015, 10-4. So those are the type of things that you want to look in 2011, they were 12 and one against the spread. USC has never been like that against the spread, even in the heydays, uh, their last 10 years, they're 58 and 74 against the spread. So uh, for me, that just tells you a, at the same time, when USC was in those glory days where they're having big numbers, they probably had some big numbers at bad, but uh, lately, I mean, me and you can both agree. They're just not playing USC football. And, And for me, if you're betting USC, Oh, well, your wallet's taking a hit, and you're probably telling your girlfriend, wife, or significant other, uh, I, I lost my money at Starbucks, <laughs> and, and then I lost my money betting football. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been kind of a thing, and then maybe because USC is like a fan favorite thing, the, the number gets inflated a little bit. Maybe that has something to do with it, but it seems to me it's it's sort of like not playing up to expectations, where if you look at the team and you say they have this many athletes, they put this many guys in the NFL – it seems like the team should be better than what, you know, and so they're not playing up to maybe the standards at Vegas and, you know, the people are kind of setting for them. Yeah. I mean, that's a big factor, but another one, I mean, look at Oregon the last couple of years where normally Oregon has been really, really good. I remember, I think 2014, they were 11 and four against the spread. And we just, we we were hoping that they wouldn't, cover games and go over because everyone would be like, give me Oregon in the over, Oregon in the over, just because they were throwing up almost 100-plus points a game. Where the last two years, 2016, they were 2-9 and nine against the spread. So I know some days you're going to have or some years you're going to have bad years. But for me, uh, USC is in a bad funk. I, I think not just year after year. I just don't know. Maybe their peak has driven or the other teams in that conference has, has cut up, like the Washingtons and Washington States. Uh, Oregon, Stanford. Uh, I think maybe those two, maybe those teams have gotten up and maybe come cut the gap a little closer. So it's not all doom and gloom for USC. I think that I, for me, I think the conference overall has gotten better because I remember back in the day where you see it was just UCLA, USC, and maybe some Oregon's in the middle. Now you have probably a good four to five, almost six teams in that conference that can that can that can compete for a bowl game or compete for the conference. All right, Rafael Esparza. Follow him on Twitter at VSI Doc Sports. We uh, have him on every week. It's a bye week, so kind of lighter, lighter uh, segment this time. But we'll be back uh, previewing USC Colorado next time. But Rafael, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said, go uh, Colorado. Then we have a tough schedule coming up at Utah, Arizona State. Uh, some tough games for USC. I think they're going to pull off, and I think they might surprise both of us. We'll see. We'll see if they can surprise it. Get on, a, get on a winning streak here. Get on a roll. All right, that's Raphael uh, with Doc Sports Service, and he's an odds maker consultant for mybookie.ag. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. 
We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.